Good evening, Crypt Keepers, and welcome to another episode of Cryptique. I'm joined, as always, by a man who just became a dad. Tell us all about it. <laughs> it's a little too real. Um, I'm happy to report I don't feel any different. You will. A lot of people told me, like, you're going to feel different immediately or the first time they look in your eyes or whatever else. It's like, uh... I don't know. I don't think so. Not yet, anyway. It's pretty cool. There's a lot that's... I'm happier being a dad than not. You know, they say that uh, when a man holds his own child, like a newborn, it sends, like, this kind of signal that makes the testosterone in the male drop by, like, 40%. It's thought that... It's to like less an aggression, maybe. Yeah, basically, kind of calm the dad down. Maybe you know, not. Yeah, you don't want the anger popping up, and obviously, aggression would be horrible. But yeah, so if you start to see boobs growing, you know what happened. It's your daughter's <laughs> fault. <laughs> These man boobs are your fault. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. All right. Well, do you want to share her name and birth date and weight and social? Social? (laughs) Well. Probably don't even know it yet. No, I actually don't even know it yet. I was going to make a joke about that and about the whole, like, your name is a corporation thing. But Mm -hmm. I did, and I texted you about this. I turned to her when I was filling out the information for the birth certificate. I was like, sorry, kid. You're in the system now. (laughs) But her name is Rosalind. Kim chose that name. It's apparently a German name. She found out after she chose it that it apparently means gentle horse or something like that, which is whatever but she was born she was born at seven pounds one ounce which is much smaller than we were thinking because i was a big ass baby (laughs) i was like nine eight or nine pounds something like that i was was big so kim was like oh my god is it possible that i'm gonna have to squeeze that out but no okay okay that's enough of the squeeze out talk it's terrible (laughs) But she's been pretty chill so far, especially during the day. At night, she uh, she's not so sure about it, though. Uh, do you call her Rosie? Mm-mm, no, we've been calling her Rose. Oh, okay. Or, like, Turtle. Turtle's something we called her for a long time while Kim was pregnant, because the very first ultrasound, that's all we could see. She looked like a little like a little sea turtle, just the nice. shape with, like, little hands and feet sticking out. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, all right. So, yeah, send your uh, congratulations in to crypticpodcast at gmail.com. And you can find us on TikTok at cryptique underscore podcast. Podcast. I'm trying to get some more stuff up right now. It's a lot of music and a few like previews and stuff, but I'm trying to get some more uh, kind of mini sods up. You can find us on YouTube at Cryptique Podcast, and we have a couple podcasts up on YouTube along with some beats and some uh, kind of 
kind of mini-sodes. But uh, you can check out the Cryptique store at crypticpodcaststore.com. And with all that said, what are we talking about tonight? We're talking about Pigman and the Angola Horror. That's horror. I bet you're going to... Well, I bet we're both going to say horror a couple times, but just know we mean horror. Yep. Yep. On December 18th, 1867, shortly after 3 p.m., the Angola Horror train wreck took place in Angola, New York. This tragic incident occurred when the final carriage of the New York Express bound for Buffalo and operated by the Lakeshore Railway derailed at a bridge, plunging into a gorge and igniting into flames. The catastrophic event claimed the lives of approximately 49 individuals, making it one of the most devastating train wrecks in American history. And this is basically... It, it sounds like the train wreck you see in every like Western movie where this happens. Like the... Yeah, it's just going off, which is well, horrifying. This one is extremely tragic, and not only did 50 people give or take, it, it says approximately in a lot of the research, it's kind of like, okay, well, was it 48 and a half to 49 and a half? Or, or did you just like give up and assume somebody was dead and didn't like look for their remains? But anyway, let's talk about the train. In the morning of December 18, 1867, the journey of the New York Express commenced from Cleveland's Union Terminal at 6.40 a.m. with its destination set for Buffalo, New York, and an expected arrival time of 1.30 p.m. Among the scheduled passengers was John D. Rockefeller, who unfortunately missed the train by a few minutes. While Rockefeller's baggage managed to board the train, he did not. And that goes back to what we talked about on the Contract Killer episode. Never get on a train, plane, etc. if a New World Order member elects to skip the trip. So if you see somebody, Bilderberg member, or any of these people decide to not get on that train or airplane or whatever... My suggestion is you follow them because they could have gotten some information like, hey, even if it's just information like, hey, let's uh, let's pick a different flight because they said there were some problems with an engine on this one or, you know, something like that. You just never know. If a Clinton gets off your flight, get off too. Right. Well, yeah. Assuming you're not on the Lolita Express, Mm -hmm. in which case, you know, we hate you anyway. So. Four baggage cars, one second-class car, and three first-class cars. Each passenger car was constructed of wood and featured pot-bellied stoves at both ends to provide warmth along with kerosene lamps for illumination. And that sounds like an arsonist's kit, right? Like they're in these wooden cars and then we're like, well, I think we need open flames, coal, and kerosene to throw in there. Yeah. Throughout the journey, the train experienced delays gradually falling behind schedule. By the time it reached Angola, it was running two hours and 45 minutes behind, prompting the train to accelerate to recover lost time. Prior to the accident, the last passenger stop was made in Dunkirk, with a brief halt in Silver Creek solely for the purpose of replenishing wood, and water supplies. But the accident is truly horrific 
and worthy of the name the Angola Horror. So tell us about the accident. The train involved in this wreck was composed of compromised cars, specially designed to accommodate both the 4-foot, 8.5-inch standard gauge of the New York Central Railroad and the 4-foot, 10-inch Ohio gauge of the Lakeshore Railroad. So different standards, which is, I didn't even know that was a thing. Well, and then you have to think about, like, it's going to slide. I mean, I I understand that it weighs at least hundreds of tons. Well, probably not for this, but, you know, many tons, and it's going to hold it down. But if you have at one point an inch and a half gap, you know, between where the wheels come down in the track, I mean, it's going to be sliding back and forth. And even if it's only an inch and a half, it could be a problem. Yeah. And I think it was. I think it was. This design feature allowed for a 3 eighths inch lateral movement on the Ohio gauge, but it also created a degree of instability. As the train approached the truss bridge over Big Sister Creek, located just east of Angola at 3.11 p.m., it passed over a frog, a crossing point for two rails. That's really what that's called. Yep. The impact caused the front axle of the rear car to bend slightly, leading to one of the wheels on the defective axle jumping off the track and derailing the rear car. Subsequently, the car started to sway violently from side to side. Despite the application of brakes, the train continued to travel at a significant speed while crossing the bridge. Eventually, the last car became uncoupled from the rest of the train, hurtling down into the icy gorge. The second-to-last car also derailed, but managed to make it to the other side of the gorge before sliding down the embankment approximately 30 feet. Remarkably, only one fatality occurred in the second-to-last car. With a terrifying crash, the final car of the train careened down a steep 40-foot ice-covered slope, finally coming to a halt at a 45-degree angle in the depths of the gully below. The force of the impact caused the passengers to be forcefully thrown together towards the end of the car where the overturned stove awaited them. Adding to the horror, the stove from the opposite end of the car tumbled onto the passengers, releasing scorching hot coals. In an instant, the carriage was engulfed in flames fueled by the kerosene from the lamps. Tragically, only two individuals managed to escape the inferno, while others may have succumbed to suffocation. The majority, however, met a grim fate, consumed by the merciless flames. Haunting witness accounts recall the piercing screams of those trapped inside, a heart-wrenching symphony that endured for what felt like an agonizing five minutes. So, how was the reporting done? The incident, famously known as we've said as the Angola Horror, captivated the entire nation, leaving an indelible mark on the collective imagination. Gripping accounts of the tragedy, accompanied by chilling illustrations, dominated the newspaper headlines for weeks. These harrowing descriptions depicted the heart-wrenching scenes of loved ones grappling to identify their family and friends among the charred and mangled remains recovered from the wreckage. The profound impact of the disaster was exemplified in the pages of Frank Leslie's illustrated newspaper, which featured five detailed sketches of the haunting scene. 
In their coverage, the publication somberly concluded, this railroad disaster is accompanied by more horrifying circumstances than any previously witnessed in this country, and its consequences are truly nauseating to contemplate. So in the aftermath, the accident and the subsequent public outcry served as catalysts for significant railroad reforms that were swiftly implemented. These reforms encompassed various areas, including the replacement of inadequately secured stoves with safer heating alternatives, the implementation of more efficient braking systems, and the standardization of track gauges. Like, I'm not good at planning ahead, but if you're running a railroad, you should be good at planning ahead. That's kind of important. So maybe you need to get with this other railroad company and be like, listen, Odds are we're going to end up switching off in places and stuff like that. Let's make sure we're all using the same size track. Right. Make sure. Yeah, it seems pretty basic. (laughs) Yeah. These measures were introduced in direct response to the tragedy, aiming to enhance passenger safety and prevent similar catastrophic events from occurring in the future. The Angola horror played a crucial role in shaping these reforms demonstrating the urgent need for improved regulations and practices within the railroad industry. So, is there a memorial? In 2008, the residents of Angola took a poignant initiative by setting aside a parcel of land along Commercial Street to commemorate the Angola horror. They erected a sign at the site serving as a solemn reminder of the tragic event and paying tribute to its victims. Additionally, recognizing the significance of honoring those who lost their lives in the accident, another memorial was planned and eventually erected in 2015. The second memorial specifically commemorates at least 17 unidentified victims who were laid to rest in Forest Lawn Cemetery in Buffalo. These memorials stand as reminders of the Angola horror, ensuring that the memory of the victims and the impact of the tragedy continue to be respected by the community. And they had 17 unidentified victims. That's pretty crazy, too. Like, it's not like there was 10,000 people on this train. You know what I mean? There was about 70, maybe, if you count, you know, like the engineer and stuff. I, I just can't imagine being like, eh, well, they're unidentified. And, you know, it's been a long day. So we're just going to pack it call in it and a day home. and just, yeah. you know, we'll build them a... Unknown yeah. grave, something like that. Popper's grave, maybe. Yeah. Another interesting thing about this, I don't know if you were going to mention it, but uh, John D. Rockefeller. Mm-hmm. Apparently, him missing this train, he was supposed to be on his way to a meeting on this train. This was before he had, like, you know, gotten big. He was a business owner at the time, but he wasn't, like, he wasn't. John D. Rockefeller was not yet John D. Rockefeller. You know what I mean? Gotcha. Yeah. And he was apparently a very, very religious man. And he saw what was, this as what a sign. religion was that? Because all these leaders always claim religion because it endears them to a voting crowd. You know Northern, what I mean? Northern Baptist is what he was. Hmm. Hmm. But I knew that he was anyway. Uh, what I've read is that he <laughs> was he, he basically saw this as a sign from God that mm. he was like spared from this, and he was like, All right, I've been spared for a reason. 
to serve Satan. It's like part of what pushed him to be as successful as he was. Like he thought that he was kind of being led by a divine power. It so seems just, similar to the Hitler story. Yeah, a little bit. And there do seem to be a lot of people who are spared from tragedies like this. Like, I feel like everybody has a, a story in their family of somebody who missed getting on like the Titanic or something like that. <laughs> Not in my family. It was $100,000 to get on the Titanic in <laughs> 1891 or whatever it was. Because my great 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 grandpa was supposed to be on it and wound up like missing it somehow like his suits weren't ready or something like that so a lazy tailor saved his life uh or a lazy washerwoman depending on like who did that kind of thing at the time makes sense i don't know if that's i don't know i don't know if that's the kind of thing they had in that particular part of the world there's a whatever that's a whole different story for probably a different podcast We'll talk about the pig man after a quick break. Welcome back, Crypt Keepers. The Legend of the Pigman. Within the realm of legendary boogeymen, Pigman occupies a distinct position due to his resemblance to a pig. You guessed it. Accounts of Pigman's appearance vary, with some describing him as possessing an actual pig's head, while others believe it to be a mask or even a physical deformity. Like many notorious reclusive murderers, Pigman is said to haunt desolate lovers' lanes, shadowy railroad bridges, and isolated rural roads. In the Pigman legend, numerous states lay claim to being the home of this enigmatic figure. One location associated with the Pigman legend is the Devil's Washboard near Northfield, Vermont. It is believed that this eerie place is inhabited by an axe-wielding maniac known as the Pigman. Accounts of Pigman's appearance vary in different versions of the story. Some claim that he wears the decaying head of a pig, while others suggest that he sports only a pig's snout. Similarly, in Texas, there exists the Pigman of Bonnie Bray Bridge with two distinct variations of the legend. In one version, Pigman starts off as a hunter pursuing wild boars. However, due to an unfortunate encounter involving lycanthropy, which is werewolfism, he's bitten by a boar and cursed to forever haunt the area as a hybrid creature, combining the traits of both a man and a pig. The second version recounts a different tale where Pigman becomes a victim of a notorious local motorcycle gang. They inflict gruesome injuries upon him, cutting off his nose and slicing his cheeks into a grotesque joker smile. Following this horrifying ordeal, the mutilated man withdraws from society, living as a recluse in the woods surrounding Bonnie Bray Bridge. These variations of the Pigman legend demonstrate the wide geographical and narrative spread of this enigmatic figure, captivating the imagination of locals and visitors alike in different regions. 
Another intriguing iteration of the Pigman legend can be found in Hawkinsville, Georgia, specifically at Pigman's Bridge. This bridge spans the rural and winding Holland Road, situated near the site of a tragic train wreck that occurred in 1888. In this tale, two variations of the Pigman legend exist as well. According to the first version, Pigman was a violent recluse who resided near the bridge. He was known to hang pig heads on spikes as a territorial marker. When a group of teenagers disregarded his warning and ventured into his territory, Pigman ruthlessly decapitated them, replacing the pig heads with their own. This chilling account portrays Pigman as a ruthless and murderous figure. The second version takes on a more spectral nature. It claims that the Pigman is the ghost of a man who once trained hogs for the circus. Have you ever seen pigs at the circus? I haven't been to a whole lot of circuses, I... but I don't remember seeing pigs. I mean, I guess it was different in the 1880s, but... I've seen pig races at the... at Eckert's Farm, I think. Yeah, seen that. That's about it. He met a tragic demise at the hands of his own swine. And we talked a little bit about something like that in a When Animals Attack episode, I think it was. So, if you're into that stuff, definitely check that one out. But in this rendition, the Pigman is believed to haunt the area as a restless spirit... The region surrounding Pigman's Bridge is rumored to be haunted by the ghosts of the numerous victims of the violent train wreck that occurred there. These additional supernatural elements add to the mystique and eerie atmosphere of the location. But in my opinion, Angola, New York holds the most plausible origin for this terrifying figure. Angola, situated approximately 30 miles southwest of Buffalo, New York, is a village within the town of Evans. It is primarily known for being the location of the Angola Horror, which we discussed before, a disastrous train wreck that took place in December of 1867 and was considered the deadliest train accident of its time. Adjacent to the side of the wreckage lies Holland Road, Pigman Bridge, and the epicenter of Angola's Pigman folklore. Angola's Pigman is also attributed to the gruesome practice of spiking the heads of both pigs and teenagers. Additionally, the area is believed to be haunted by the restless spirits of the victims of the Angola Horror, attracting paranormal researchers who seek to explore its supernatural phenomena. In Angola, the pigman is often described as a disturbed butcher who allegedly hung a man on a meat hook within his shop before retreating to the woods to perpetuate further acts of slaughter. So this almost sounds like a, like a Batman villain or something. Yeah. This narrative serves as one of the more prevalent origin stories surrounding Angola's Pigman, adding to the aura of fear and mystery that surrounds the legend. The legitimacy of Angola's claim to the Pigman legend was no more substantiated than that of Hawkinsville or other locations. The weight given to Angola's stories was primarily based on their abundance and consistency. While there had been some media coverage, including paranormal television shows and a low-budget slasher film centered around the Pigman, concrete evidence had been lacking. And we will talk about another origin story after a quick break. Welcome back, Crypt Keepers. 
A local author's historical account of Angola offered a far darker and immensely more intriguing narrative than the mere portrayal of a deranged individual adorning pig heads and haunting a bridge. The story begins in 1855 with Elijah Derricks, a man who resided near the railroad tracks on Holland Road in Angola. Elijah, living in relative poverty, was married and had two sons, Loring and Henry. In December of 1867, tragedy struck when the two boys ventured onto the tracks to collect fallen pieces of coal, a common occurrence due to passing trains. During their exploration, Loring and Henry decided to remove two railroad ties for use in repairing a fence on their property. Little did they know that this seemingly innocent act would have dire consequences. At precisely 3.11 p.m. on that fateful day, the next train passed through the area, and due to the loosened track caused by the removed ties, the two rear passenger cars derailed, plummeting 40 feet into a nearby gorge. The tragic incident resulted in the loss of at least 49 lives while countless others suffered injuries. This historical backdrop sets the stage for the emergence of the Pigman legend in Angola, as the devastating train wreck serves as a pivotal event that potentially plays a role in shaping the darker and more complex aspects of the Pigman story. In the aftermath of the horrific train wreck, the residents of Angola bravely rushed to the aid of the burning commuters. There was an additional motive behind their action, to conceal the involvement of the Derricks family in the tragedy. It was believed that exposing the Derricks' connection to the incident would not only draw the ire of the railroad, but also bring calamity upon the entire town. Consequently, the residents made efforts to protect the reputation of Angola. The blame for the accident was eventually attributed to a frog, which refers to the raised area of track where it transitions from one gauge to another. By blaming the accident on this technical aspect, the town was spared from potential embarrassment and the repercussions it might have faced. However, despite the town's efforts to shield themselves, the Derricks family continued to live under the shadow of infamy. Their involvement in the tragic event ensured that they would be remembered in a less than favorable light, perpetuating their notoriety within the community. Following the passing of Elijah, his son Henry relocated to Angola while Loring remained on Holland Road and undertook the task of renovating the family home. However, the Derricks' troubled history persisted. Around 1906, a mysterious fire erupted, consuming several buildings and once again raising suspicion about the family's involvement. Sadly, Henry bore the brunt of the accusations, prompting him to pack his belongings and depart Angola permanently, leaving his brother behind. In 1911, Loring found himself at the center of yet another unfortunate incident. He had volunteered to assist with the town's Independence Day fireworks display. Tragically, during the event, a child was injured when struck by a rocket, while several others suffered severe burns. The repercussions were significant as the town faced a lawsuit demanding $12,500 in damages. $365,000. Good. <sighs> That's my guess. All right. Let's see. That would be $402,854.88 in 2022 dollars. Pretty close, man. 48000 off. <laughs> so, Loring, despite his troubled reputation, married Betsy Crabtree, who was considered an outcast due to her parents being first cousins. On April 17, 1913, Loring and Betsy welcomed a son named William Derricks into the world. William was born with a severe facial deformity, unfortunately, known as frontonasal dysplasia, which prevented the proper fusion of the facial structures. 
This condition resulted in a split nose, eyes that were set apart, and a deeply cleft lip. The people of Angola harbored a secret belief that William's deformity was a divine curse. Seen as a form of punishment inflicted upon Loring for his past transgressions and misdeeds. This notion of divine retribution fueled the community's perception of the Derricks family, deepening the sense of an ongoing curse or ill fate that surrounded them. The presence of William's facial deformity became a visible and tangible reminder of the family's troubled history, reinforcing the notion that they were marked by their past and subjected to the judgment of a higher power. As the years went by, Loring and his family withdrew further from society, isolating themselves while the town of Angola flourished. William led a secluded life, deprived of proper education and struggling to forge meaningful connections. Kind of like COVID kids. (laughs) Exactly. However, there was one exception to his isolated existence. A one-armed boxer who had once saved him from a potential tragedy involving an oncoming train when he was just a toddler. This unexpected savior played a significant role in William's life. Over time, the one-armed boxer became a mentor figure to William guiding him onto a path that led to an internship at a butcher shop. Through this experience, William developed a unique skill set and became familiar with the world of meat processing. It's its own world, man. (laughs) The meat processing world. Eventually, his mentor introduced him to sideshow and circus promoters, opening new opportunities for William to showcase his talents. This ironic turn of events, stemming from a near tragedy involving a train, led William down a different path one that would expose him to the world beyond his reclusive existence and grant him access to the intriguing realm of sideshows and circuses. So before we go on, okay, I just want to analyze this real quick. So I'm not trying to judge anybody, but it almost seems like, oh, this one-armed boxer, you know, became a mentor and, you know, got him this internship at a butcher shop, but then also is kind of like almost like grooming him to be like, Hey, you should come and join the side show and PT man. So, and I know they were viewed a lot differently back then, but it just seems kind of like a dick move. It's like, yeah, like you're in a bad situation. So you want to bring other people down with you, but Mm. Anyway, tell us more about this one-armed boxer. Okay. During the 1940s and 1950s, William embarked on a journey through this new world, touring with various acts and experiencing a nomadic lifestyle. However, at some point in the late 50s, he made his way back to Angola, returning to his roots. There, he married his first cousin, Mildred Crabtree. Mildred Crabtree. Oh, my God. That is the most, like, 50-sounding name ever. Didn't she have a different name earlier, or was that someone else? That was his mother. Was I got you because she's a cousin. cousin. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, that's you know that's just not something you come across every day. So. Crabtree. That's if I had like a female English bulldog, I would name it Mildred Crabtree. That's such a good <laughs> name. Uh, anyway, they established their family home in William's ancestral residence on Holland Road. In due course, William and Mildred welcomed the son named William Jr. into the world to create a bunch of people. What do we name the boy? Whatever we named the last one. Right. Rumors circulated that they also had twin daughters, but the lack of official birth certificates leaves this claim uncertain. 
Nevertheless, the family of William, Mildred, and their children resided together in the familial abode on Holland Road, carrying on the legacy of the Derricks family in Angola. Following the family's return to Angola and William's settlement back in his ancestral home, a significant development occurred in the vicinity. Ed Ball Sanitation, a sanitation company in Town Dump, was established near the Derricks' house. Fortunately, depending on your outlook on the situation, William found employment at this facility, becoming part of the workforce there. As the 1960s unfolded, reports circulated among the residents of Angola regarding a a peculiar figure at the dump. This mysterious individual, often described as hooded and enigmatic, would interact with the townsfolk in short, mangled sentences, providing instructions on where to dispose of their trash. Dude, hold on a second. Every junkyard and dump has a pig man that speaks in mangled sentences. I was just about to say, every guy who stamped my hand when I went into a pick and pull kind of matches this description a little bit. Strangely enough, it was said that the figure would frequently be seen rummaging through the piles of discarded items even before the depositor had departed from the scene. So a very fancy way of saying... He would look through your trash while you're still there. <laughs> it's unusual behavior. Added, I like the way that we, I like the way that you uh, tried to dress that up a little bit. <laughs> I, won't, I won't stand for it. <laughs> this unusual behavior added to the enigmatic aura surrounding William, further fueling the local gossip and intrigue. His presence at the dump and his seemingly peculiar actions only added to the mystique of the Derricks family and their connection to the darker legends and stories surrounding the area. Tragedy struck the family in November of 1966 when Mildred passed away. In a strange turn of events, she was allegedly buried without following the proper legal procedures on the family property. Unofficially, three graves are said to exist on the site, with the assumption that Mildred's resting place joins those of her grandparents who were the original builders of the house. The fate of William and Mildred's children remains shrouded in uncertainty. And it is rumored that the children may have found refuge with the Crabtree side of the family. These include William Jr. and potentially the rumored twins of the family, maintaining a partial connection to their Derrick's heritage. However, concrete details regarding their whereabouts and upbringing remain elusive, leaving their ultimate destiny a matter of speculation within the community. The closure of the Ed Ball sanitation dump in 1969 marked a significant turning point in the Holland Road area. So that was less than a decade. Like, I mean, I guess it fills up. Yeah, I I guess that would have to be it. I mean, people got to dump their shit somewhere. Yeah, maybe maybe dumps were smaller back then. Yeah, or maybe uh, Tony Soprano came in and opened up his own dump. Yeah. The subsequent lack of activity and isolation of the surroundings made it an appealing location for teenagers seeking privacy and adventure. Parties and romantic encounters became common occurrences in the area, much to the displeasure of William Derricks. With an apparent distaste for the intrusion of outsiders on his secluded territory, William's frustrations manifested in the form of the Pigman legend. Tales began to circulate among the locals, depicting a horrifying figure lurking in the shadows ready to punish those who dared to trespass or disturb the peace. Whether it was an attempt by William to discourage unwanted visitors or a reflection of his own pent-up anger and alienation, the legend of the pig man took hold and grew in intensity during this period. As William Derrick sought to maintain his solitude and protect his property, his actions took a more menacing turn. Displaying dead animals along his driveway served as a chilling warning for potential trespassers, effectively deterring them from venturing further. 
Meanwhile, reports circulated of a hostile individual driving a rusty Ford truck, aggressively pursuing and intimidating those who ventured too close. Encounters with William where his disfigured face was revealed left a lasting impression of terror on those unfortunate enough to witness it. The road that led to his property, once known as Holland Road, took on a new name, Pigman Road. The Pigman in classification reflected both the eerie presence of the Pigman legend and the chilling atmosphere that surrounded the area, leaving a lasting mark on the local community. We'll talk about the disappearance of Harris Thompson after a quick break. Welcome back, Crypt Keepers. The disappearance of Harris Thompson in 1973 added another layer of mystery and concern to the Holland Road area. Thompson, a utility worker, had been visiting homes in the Route 5 vicinity, including William Derrick's property, before he vanished without a trace. Law enforcement initiated a search and investigation. Authorities went to William Derrick's house, but he wasn't home. But they encountered a young boy, presumably William Jr., which would also be William IV, along with numerous animals. The condition of the house was deplorable, filled with refuse and animal feces, rendering it unsuitable for human habitation. And if you live right by a dump and you're not throwing your trash away, that's a problem. And as a result, Child Protective Services was contacted to address the living conditions and ensure the welfare of the child. The discovery of the neglected living conditions and the absence of William Derricks added to the growing concern and intrigue surrounding Pigman and the dark secrets that seemed to envelop the Holland Road area. The mysterious events surrounding the Derricks family continued to unfold, adding to the enigma of the Pigman legend. On Halloween night, 1973, the Derrick's house unexpectedly went up in flames and was destroyed. It was assumed that William Derrick's and his family perished in the fire, but no human remains were ever found amidst the ruins. In the aftermath of the fire, peculiar occurrences continued to haunt the Holland Road area Small piles of neatly sorted trash, reminiscent of William Derrick's habits, would appear along the road. These piles were a constant reminder of the eerie presence that lingered in the vicinity. Five years later, in October 1978, another nearby home succumbed to fire while the residents were away on vacation. Upon their return, they discovered that their belongings had been meticulously sorted into small piles scattered throughout the surrounding woods. So that's definitely an M.O. That's something that like a serial killer would do. You know, they tend to have a lot of OCD tendencies. I don't think they're saying that he's killed anyone. But, I mean, if somebody breaks into your house and sets it on fire and then sorts all your trash, that's something to be, you know, really concerned with. Witnesses also reported being chased away from the area by an old rusty Ford pickup truck resembling the one once driven by William Derricks. And I think it's safe to say that anyone in a rusty Ford pickup truck is going to try and run you off their property. That has been my experience as well. I'm actually thinking about a guy I encountered 
on a road that was apparently marked private. <laughs> Rolled down his window and was like, guess we need a new sign. And I looked around way off into these woods and there was a little sign tacked up that said private road. He must be real popular. <sighs> Were you going back there to engage in teenage activities such as drinking and necking? There was, a, <laughs> there was a house for sale back there and a sign that pointed like house for sale. Check it out. <laughs> and this guy's like, get out of here. I didn't actually say get out of here, but he was just an asshole. Yeah, it happens. And some say that house is still for sale. <sighs> I wonder why. <laughs> like your neighbor's a dick, but we'll come down $10,000. <laughs> Anyway, throughout these events, sightings of Pigman persisted, fueling the chilling tales and perpetuating the legend. The mysterious figure, with its pig-like countenance, continued to be associated with the Holland Road area, leaving an unsettling aura that remains to this day. As with many legends and folklore, it's important to separate historical events from the myths and stories that have emerged over time. While the Angola Horror had a significant impact on railroad safety reforms, it is distinct from the tales and mysteries surrounding the Pigman and the Derricks family. While some aspects, such as the Angola Horror train wreck, may be based on real historical events, other details, such as the involvement of the Derricks family and their connection to the Pigman legend, seem to be fictional additions. The evolution of myths and urban legends often involves a combination of factual events, hearsay, embellishments, and creative storytelling. Do you have any final thoughts on the Angola Pigman or the Pigman in general? I want to go check it out. Yeah? I want to go down that road, yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd very much be interested in taking a drive down that road, depending on the vehicle I was in. How about a rusty Ford? No, no. Astrovan, something like that. No, something like a Miata. Sure. I want to be able to get away from whatever it is. I don't know what the zero to 60 time on a spectral rusty Ford is, but I want to have a decent chance of getting away. Fair enough. It it reminds me of, um, there's like a Pigman villain in Batman. Mm -hmm. Professor Pig. That's what it is. P-Y-G. Yeah, he does kind of act like a butcher, but he basically, like, kidnaps victims and performs, like, horrific experiments. Yeah, plastic surgeries is what I would call it. Like, alters their appearance. Maybe experiments is a better way, but it's one of the freakier ones, especially in uh, Arkham Knight, I think. One of the video games. There's, like, a, it's a, I think it's a mission that you don't even have to do. You can just encounter it. Uh-huh. You know, you might happen to find that he's performing these surgeries in like this old part of the city. There's like a, a surgical theater in the middle of this one building that you can access. It's pretty messed up. That's what it's making me think of. But it's also kind of, I mean, it's tragic if it's a real person who just wanted to be left alone. Mm-hmm. And also scary if it's a real person who wanted to be left alone to the point that he left like animal corpses displayed to keep people away yeah i'm sure that's very effective it's got to be a shocking sight to just you know see a head with dead eyes and you know veins popping out of the neck and you know surrounded by flies and stuff like that it's uh, very much like what uh, vlad the impaler did 
you love Vlad the Impaler. Come on. But all right. So talking about Batman, have you seen the commercial for the new Penguin series coming out on Max? No, I haven't. It's uh, Colin Farrell playing. It's basically like a Penguin origin story. And he's kind of a badass in it. He's not like, like he's a big dude. He just walks funny. He's not like the four foot eight character. Yeah. Yeah, from the 93 cartoon series. It's supposed to be the same version that was from the Batman movie, right? Mm-hmm. Like the Batman. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, that looks pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, I'm interested in it. For sure. Like the only thing... Yeah, the, the previews on on YouTube, it's pretty good. It's the only YouTube commercial that I've ever let play. Huh. That's crazy. actually pretty high price. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's all we've got for you tonight on Cryptique. Tell them what they need to know. Oh, what do you need to know? What do you want to know? Thanks, everybody, for tuning in to our pokey little podcast. If you enjoy what you heard and you want to reach out to us and connect, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, Be sure to share your thoughts, comments, and any cryptic-type mysteries you'd like us to unravel. You can reach us by email at crypticpodcast.gmail.com. And don't forget, you can always find us on TikTok, where our handle is at cryptique underscore podcast, and on YouTube at cryptique podcast with no underscore. And as always, remember to subscribe, to stay updated on whatever we're doing, share it with friends and family, and Jay, how dare you almost let me forget, <laughs> check out crypticpodcaststore.com and check out Parabox. The link, as always, is in the show notes. All right, so I have a really funny story about taking my dog to jujitsu. And it's really scary, funny, creepy, all in one. And I'm going to tell that on the after party on Thursday. Good evening, Crypt Keepers. Thank you.